All right. You guys look great up there. And uh, and I, hopefully those are still out there. You can still do those uh, pictures of friends, family. Hey, I'm really, really glad you're at Chase Oaks today. I hope you are, too. It's already been great to be able to worship together. And whether you're at Legacy or at Woodbridge, Sloan Creek, Richardson, and Espanol watching online right now from some uh, crazy or ordinary place, uh, we're just really glad that you're with us because today we are kind of in the home stretch of our series, Home Team. Uh, we got this week and next week where we've been looking at our most significant relationships. Part of that series is also what happens next Saturday, which is a conference, the Family Now Conference. Your host has given you the details about that, but let me encourage you to dive in. It's going to be really great. Don't miss it. Um, today, what we're talking about is about the next generation. It, it's about doing what what our job is to do, however we relate to a child, not just parents, but all of us, however we relate to anybody in a generation below us, to help launch them into the destiny and to the future that God has for them, because people don't come pre-equipped. Um, that's our job. Now, whenever we start talking about that, I know there's different emotions or feelings that kind of come into our hearts and minds, and this might include you. So for some of you, uh, even just hearing that little bit about, man, it's your job to prepare your kids or kids in your life, there can be some fear attached to that, right? I and mean, you think, oh, man, this is such a crazy world we live in and raising kids and, you know, in this world, man, what, what's it going to be like for them? Or maybe there's fear because you think, oh, man, I'm just going to screw them up or they're going to screw me up. I, I don't know which, but it's you know not going to go well. And. And I'm going to ask us, we're going to pray in just a moment before we really jump into the, the talk and the message in, out of this book in the Bible called Ephesians. Uh, just to say, God, would you, would you replace our fear with your faith? Uh, because he wants to equip us to do this. He, he, we're not on our own. And, uh, and we're going to get some wisdom and, and he'll even give us everything we need to pull this off. So that's fear. For some right now, it may be guilt. I mean, you just think about mistakes you've made in parenting or the way you've treated somebody in the next generation, a brother, sister, whatever, and you just feel guilt. Um, maybe you feel guilt because you, you know, as you, as your kids are growing older, they're not following God or they're not doing well in life, depending on where you're coming from. And, and they're not going down a good pathway and you just think, oh man, I, I blew it. And uh, we're going to talk about that, but but I, I want to encourage you to, to ask God to help us move from guilt to grace because God has loads of grace for imperfect parents. Because guess what? Everybody that God's ever used to raise kids, including God, when he sent Jesus on this planet, his earthly parents, God's only used imperfect parents to do his work. That's what he does. So he, he's OK with our imperfections. It's not easy parenting. And and our kids are going to grow up to make their own decisions and they're accountable for those decisions. We want to do the best we can to help them make the right, you know, help me. And we'll talk about all that. But just say, God, would you help me move from guilt to grace? And then some of you may be feeling apathy. I mean, you kind of have an old crud moment right now because, I mean, you know, we're in a series that we're talking about family. But still, if you don't have kids, you know, you're like, oh, great. I could be watching the cowboy pregame, you know, right now. And I decided to come to church. And uh, that's just awesome. You know, I don't have kids. I don't want kids. I, they, I don't even like them or whatever you're coming from. And, uh, and, and you may be planning your exit right now. You know, you, when you, and, and it's hard, you know, fake a heart attack or easier to act like you're going to the bathroom. That's easier. But, um, 
But let me encourage you to cool your jets on that um, and ask God when we pray to, to move your heart from apathy to passion for the next generation. Because that's God's heart, and we want our heart to match his heart. And as a church, it's on all of us. And I know not all of you are in our church, but just even our community. Um, It really does take all of us to pull this off. And God has placed you strategically in the lives of people. And you may not value it enough, and it's easy to do that, just to think, oh, it's not that big a deal to be an aunt, an uncle, a family friend, a neighbor, um, or just a church person in our church But God has placed you in all those contexts in part because there are people that he wants you to encourage and help lift up in the next generation. So let's let's pray together real quick. I'm just going to pray for us. God, would you help us? God, we really need your help on this one. And I thank you that that you use people like us as imperfect as we are to to equip the next generation. However, we relate to them an aunt or an uncle or grandparent or parent or friend, whatever. And God, would you help us move if we have fear to faith or from guilt to grace, from apathy to passion? And and God, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're talking about this uh, because God uh, wants to use people like us um, to equip the next generation for what God has for them. Because people don't come into this world, little babies, equipped to do anything, really. I mean, there's a few things they know how to do. They know how to cry. They know how to eat. They know how to sleep. They know how to poop. They know how to look cute. And those are very important skills in life. Don't get me wrong, but they're going to need more than that, right? To, to really make it. Kids don't come pre-wise. Uh, they, in fact, one of my parenting sayings, which is terrible uh, when I was a parent is that kids are stupid. So take advantage of it. And, uh, and so I, uh, and I did, uh, so my, I was talking to my oldest son, Colin, uh, who's now 26 the other day, and he was saying, Dad, he said, I don't know if you, you know, really remember this, but you remember when, whenever we would ask, you know, I have, you're going to hear a lot about my two sons today, Colin and Caleb. He said, you remember when we would ask for something like maybe we were in Target and we wanted candy at the checkout stand or we wanted another hockey stick when we didn't really need another hockey stick or what, you know, you're asking for something like that. You know, you never said no, not one time. What you said was, you, you know, you have a coin in your pocket and you say, hey, you know what? That'd be cool. I'd love for you to get that. But I think we should flip for it. And if you win, you get it. If you don't, sorry, you don't. And uh, so you would. And, and when we'd flip the coin, you'd say real quick, heads, I win, tails, you lose. Now, I got that from the three stooges. I get I get all my preaching material from the three stooges. A lot of people don't know that. But um, if you don't know who the three stooges are, YouTube them. They're just awesome. But uh but anyway, I would say, you know, heads I win, tails you lose. And if you say it fast enough, you know, they just, they just, it just didn't register with them. And so, you know, it'd be like, ah, oh, tails you lose, sorry, you know, or heads I win. So, and they were like, man, it took us forever to figure that out. We just thought you were like really gifted at coin flipping. And, uh, and right, kids are stupid, so take advantage of it. That's what you should learn today. Um, but actually our job is to move them from stupid to wise. Right. And, and, and so how do we do that? Well, and that's what we want to talk about. And we're going to do that by looking at a passage in the Bible today in this New Testament book called Ephesians that uh, this Paul, who's key leader in the New Testament, writes to uh, writes to the church in equipping the next generation. It's a it's just one verse that we're going to focus on today. Ephesians six, four. So you can look in your Bible app if you want. And here's how it starts. We're just going to start with one word. 
and then move from there because he starts by singling out fathers. Now, I don't want to just dive into the passage because what he's going to say is going to apply to us no matter how we relate to somebody in the next generation. But he does zero in on fathers. And so I don't want to just pass over that too quickly because he could have said parents. He could have said church. He could have said all kinds of things, but he didn't. He zeroed in on fathers. And for those of you who are fathers or who might be a father one day, uh, perk up. Because I think there's a couple reasons that God does this. Uh, one is why he emphasizes dads is that in the Bible is consistent on this throughout the Bible. The dads in God's mind have a really important role in the home. And ultimately he holds us accountable for the spiritual temperature and the overall tone of the home. And, uh, and therefore, we, you know, that like we can't just delegate that like that's our job. Yet we do it together and all that. And we involve you know, I mean, I'm not saying moms don't have a big role in the home. Of course they do. But God says, hey, ultimately, dads, uh, it's on you. Not only that, dads just have a, you take the Bible out of it. Dads have just empirically uh, a massive amount of impact in the life of a child. I mean, all you have to do is talk to a counselor, a therapist. And one of the reasons that they're in business is because they're helping people deal with father wounds that happen that they're now uh, working through and smart enough to deal with. And there's a whole lot more of that than other kind of wounds that are going on just because dads, it's a powerful thing the way God made things. It's also, I think, one of the reasons that Paul singles out dads is because he was writing to a particular group of people in a particular time and place, a context. Paul was writing to this, you know, Ephesians. So he was writing to this city of Ephesus, these People who come out of is a Roman Empire city, a Roman city. So he was writing to people who became Jesus followers. They were very new to Jesus and they were coming right out of the Roman Empire. And let's just say parenting could be could have been better in the Roman Empire largely. And so Paul is going to say, dads, you know, you can't be a dad like you've been. Uh, we, I want you to be a different kind of dad. And in, in the Roman Empire, that was a big deal because it was a very patriarchal society and dads had incredible power. Uh, over their kids, even into adulthood, like even into adulthood, I, if you had a kid uh, who became an adult, uh, if they were a son or an unmarried daughter, again, even into adulthood, you could have them imprisoned. Uh, you could have them uh, beaten by the authorities. You could have them sold into slavery. You could have had them killed uh, if you wanted to. And, and you can imagine with that kind of power and that kind of authority, it was abused a lot. And you, you think dads can be controlling now. It was a whole different deal. And it caused a lot of hurt and a lot of frustration and a lot of pain. And what? And therefore, that's why he starts off and he says, fathers, don't do that. Do not provoke. He's going to tell them what to do also. But he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Now, some of you here are students, right? You're junior high student or high school student. And. You're going to be glad you came to church today because you can use this verse. Uh, you know, this could be great because this week, like your parents are going to want you to clean your room or maybe you want to go to a party and they're not going to let you or you're interested in dating somebody. And they're like, no, you're not dating until you're 40. Sorry, whatever. And all you have to do is say, well, you know, mom, dad, Bible's really important to me. And uh, I don't know if you remember, you know, our pastor, he, he said, you know, this do not provoke your children to anger. And you're you're kind of doing that right now. So you probably ought to let me do what I want to do or, you know, because, you know, it's Jesus and God, the Bible, and that's good stuff. You know, you don't want to go against that. 
But unfortunately, you know, and you're, I think your parents are probably smart enough to know that's not what it's talking about. But try it anyway. Um, maybe you'll just cute, you get cute points to try. Um, because what he's talking about is that other thing. Just, he's talking about deep-seated hurt, deep-seated anger that comes from really bad treatment of kids. And, it, it, it's, and it's not hard to do. It's not just other people that can fall into this. It's, it's me. It's us. Uh, they, they can do it. Um, I mean, obviously there are extremes and all that, but it, it is not hard to crush the soul of a child. Children are fragile. The soul of a child is a fragile thing. And our job, obviously, is to help them flourish and help them blossom but, and, and to avoid doing this, avoid crushing the soul of a child. I saw this week, maybe you did too, on ESPN, a new 30 for 30 about Dennis Rodman. Anybody see that? Uh, it was very well done. I think Jamie Foxx produced it and just... but. But, you know, Dennis Rodman, a troubled guy, and he would say, yeah, a really troubled guy. But when you hear his story, you see the reason for the trouble, at least in part. A dad that abandoned him when he was three years old. Uh, a mom that, at least from the perspective of that uh, show, uh, just ill-equipped uh, to be a mom and, and, and help a child work through that. And, and you've got a, a child with a crushed soul trying to grow up to be an adult, and that's a hard thing to do. And we don't want to do that, right? But it's easy to do. In fact, all you and I, if you want to crush the soul of a child, however you relate to a child, not just dads, anybody, all you have to do, choose neglect and absence, be overbearing, controlling, demeaning, shaming, constantly critical, withhold praise, be abusive, be sarcastic and mean, or just walk out, just abandon them. And you, you can do a good job of crushing the soul of a child. But obviously we don't want to do that. We want to handle with care. We want to do better than that. And that's what Paul is saying. Saying, look, don't don't do that. Instead, I'm going to ask you to be a different kind of influence of the next generation. And he's going to give the, hey, here's how to do it right. Rather, which is a, a strong word in the original language of the Bible, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Don't do that. But instead, here's your job. However we relate to the next generation, here's our job. To bring them up with the discipline instruction that comes from the Lord. This word, when I say the original language of the New Testament, it's, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek, in Koine Greek. Uh, and so we, good translation and bring them up is a good word. But that word um, is a word that could also be translated nurture. And it was typically used not of dads in their culture. It was used, about, it was used of moms. Because moms nurture. In that culture, moms nurtured and dads we're the tough ones, right? So moms were like, oh, you're so sweet and you're so cute. And dads were like, no, you're not. Get to work. You know, that kind of thing, right? And what he's saying is, um, dads, no, your job is to nurture too. Um, your job is to realize that, again, the soul of a child is a fragile thing. And therefore, you, we parent like godparents, right, with gentleness and kindness and grace. Doesn't mean you don't have discipline because he talks about it doesn't mean you don't have boundaries because we're going to talk about it. That's what he says. But we nurture too. We're, we're like caretakers of something very wonderful and very precious. And he says, so handle with care. And then with the discipline instruction that comes from the Lord. So that's our job description. How do we bring up our children? How do we help them move from wisdom or excuse me, stupidity to wisdom? How do we equip them for life? Well, Two parts of the job description, discipline and instruction. And so let's talk about that. Now, instruction is going to involve all of us. Discipline, a lot of that's, you know, parental. But let's talk about good discipline. Because bad discipline, and maybe you've experienced bad discipline when you grew up as a kid, 
can be really damaging. Good discipline can be really equipping. And so we need to know the difference. Last week, Dan Martin talked a little bit about this. Um, he did a great job talking about parenting. If you missed the talk, go back and listen to it. As he talked about how to parent like God parents us, which pretty good way to go. But he talked about discipline and he used this picture of the guardrails and how how our goal and discipline is to provide boundaries and guardrails to keep our kids from going off a cliff, right? And to help them learn over time there are consequences to actions. And keeping the goal of discipline, I think, is the most important thing because it's easy to get off, especially when we get frustrated. If, and if you and I allow discipline to be about our anger, if we discipline out of anger, we're going to do some damage. If we discipline out of ego, if it's like, I'm going to show you who's boss or you're going to respect me, you know, if we're disciplining out of ego, we're going to make some big mistakes. That's not the goal of discipline. Now, the goal of discipline is to help the child grow in wisdom as he or she learns that there are always consequences to our actions. That's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to help them become wise. Because every action, good and bad, has consequences, good and bad. And if they can learn that early on, they're going to grow in wisdom so they, don't, they can learn it in the safety of our home, not learn it out there, which is not so safe. Right. We just are again, it just actions have consequences. That's what discipline is about. We don't have to get angry. We can stay calm. Right. All that. So let's talk a little bit about good discipline versus bad discipline. Or we'll just talk about good discipline. We'll keep it positive. First of all, good discipline is clear. Like, like the boundaries should be clear. Doesn't mean you have to have a million rules, but it's just, hey, look, if you, you know, here's the boundary and here's the consequence. And uh, and. And, and, and then not only clear, but consistent so that, hey, if you if you go over that boundary, this is the con- consequence. We, you know that uh, you chose it. And so, boom, here we go. Um, and it, it helps when it's clear, be consistent, because it's not. Otherwise, you do things like, uh, well, if you do that one more time, I'm going to get you. You know, if you do that, you know, or whatever, we bargain with them and all this kind of stuff. And consistency is hard. Christy would let you know, yeah, you're talking big up there. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I found it hard to be concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a softy uh, when, it, you know, when it came to that. Um, so I had to really make myself be consistent. You went over the boundary, and that's the consequence. You chose it. Because it's really not fair to be inconsistent, to blow up about something one day and just blow it off another day. That's confusing. And again, it's on them, right? You're, we're trying to help them develop responsibility it's not us constantly watching them and, you know, and keeping them in line. It's them learning to stay in line as they face the consequences of their decision. So be consistent. Also, good wisdom needs to be custom, customized, because our kids are different. So what we do in disciplining one child is going to be totally different than another child just because they're so different in what they respond to when it comes to consequences. Um, that's certainly true of my two boys. My, my two boys have a lot in common in terms of what they like to do, which is great. They're big buddies, great friends, but their personality is very different. So, and certainly that was true when they were little. So Colin, when he was little, Colin was a pleaser. He wanted to please. So if he got in trouble, all you had to do was kind of look at him like that. And he'd be like, I'm so sorry. I won't do that ever again. You know, and all that. Caleb, however, my youngest, not like that. So if you look at him like that, he'd be like, what's your problem? Like you got something in your eye or... You know, because he wasn't so much a pleaser. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And that's just that's the way God made him. There's gifting in both of those things, but just very different. Same way with uh, just how they relate to people. So um, the concept of time out, 
You know, Colin, uh, very relational, just wanted, still does, but wanted to be around people all the time. Just couldn't imagine life without people all the time. And uh, so he was just very relationally driven. So time out was really effective for him as a, as a consequence. So if you said, Colin, you're going to go into time out, you know, you know, you did that. You're going to go into time out. He'd be like, OK, but how long? And you say, well, you know, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Who's going to go with me? You're like, well, well, nobody. You're going to be by by myself for 20 minutes. Is somebody going to come check on me? You're like, yeah, okay, we'll come check on you. And uh, you're right, but he just couldn't imagine life for 20 minutes alone. That just was terrible. Caleb, however, you know, a little. I mean, he likes people, but more introverted. So, and especially when you're with an overly extroverted brother, he was looking for time alone. So he'd like do stuff just to get time out. So you'd say, "Hey, you want to be? In, you know, you're going to be in time out." Be like, "Okay," and he'd go and, and just get some little time alone. In fact, the problem with Caleb, the problem with that, when we put Caleb in time out, which we realized that wasn't effective, we put Caleb in time out, and then about five minutes later, we'd hear Caleb yelling from his room, "Mom, Dad, come get Colin out of my room. I'm in time out." Because <laughs> he would sneak in there. So I just kids are different, right? That's the point of it. And therefore, what, what's effective for one is a little different than another. And again, it's just the only point of doing this is to reinforce consequences, right? So you don't have to go nuclear. You don't have to be mean. You don't, it's just enough, you know, kind of minimal consequences to support the boundary, but custom. Um, which gets me to crime appropriate. It needs to be appropriate for the crime. And uh, when we get angry, we can get a little bit overboard. And so just, again, clear, consistent and make sure it's a crime. Sometimes uh, I see, you know, sometimes parents parent, uh, discipline kids for things that that aren't crimes. They're just being kids like, you know, some kids are daydreamy. Some kids are a little hyper and overactive. Some kids are forgetful and, you know, and that's just who they are. They're just being a kid. It doesn't mean you can't help them learn how to handle that part of themselves, but that's not what discipline is for. Kids shouldn't get in trouble for being a kid, right? And uh, a kid should be celebrated for being a kid. We may need to help them deal with hyperness or deal with whatever it is, but that's, you get it, make sure it's a crime. And then age appropriate. Um, the way you discipline a two-year-old is going to be different, hopefully, than you discipline an 18-year-old, right? Consequences. And, and, um, because ultimately, what we want to do is over time, this is a baby, uh, this is a young adult, um, when they're about to leave our house, uh, over time, right, we want to give increasing freedom so they have increasing wisdom, and they learn to deal with consequences on their own. Because ultimately, what we don't want to do throughout their life is nag our kids, or like we've got a buzzer and we're watching over them all the time when they're 13, 14, 15 years old, and we're like, ink, ink, ink. Right. That's that's external. That's externalization. Like we're they're just complying to our external demands. That's not good. What we want is for them to internalize wisdom. So, again, the goal of discipline is to help the child grow in wisdom as he or she learns that there are always consequences to our actions. It is not for your kids to comply with your demands or values, but to internalize those values and make their own good choices as they mature. We want to pass that wisdom on to them. And part of that is as they have increasing freedom. And sometimes they can't handle it. We pull it back a little bit. But as they have increasing freedom, they also have consequences. And as parents, we live in an era of parenting where we may give freedom, but then we bail them out on the consequences, which I think can be unfortunate. I mean, I, I've even talked to professors in our church, college professors who still have, you know, parents calling them about their college student 
when they make a bad grade or something and say, look, would you give him a second? You know, no, he didn't study or she didn't study. She, that's a, right. But we live in that era of parenting. So consequences are not bad, but, but that means as they grow, right, they'll face their own consequences. Make sense? So all that to say, let's just remember the goal of good discipline. It's part of the deal. It's not the easiest part of parenting, but it's really important to have good boundaries And over time, the goal is that they'll internalize wisdom and make good decisions themselves because they've learned that actions have consequences, both good and bad. And then that brings us to the next part of it, and that is instruction. He says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what does instruction of the Lord mean? And this is true. This is good for all of us, okay? We're not all going to discipline kids, but we all have the opportunity to really, I think what he's talking about is pass the faith on. He says instruction of the Lord. So some of you aren't Jesus followers, and so for you, it's just, hey, how do, I, at this point, how do I help my kids grow in wisdom and learn about life? But certainly for those of us who are Jesus followers, we want to go, as part of that, we want to pass on the faith to our kids. And how do we do that? And he says, well, it's our job to do that, however we relate to a kid. However, just, again, think about a way that you relate to a kid right now if you're not a parent. It's our privilege and our job to help pass the faith on to them. So how do we do that? Well, he just says instruction of the Lord. He doesn't give us much input. Other parts of the Bible, though, do. And one of those passages that I think is super helpful is all the way back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy 6, which is Moses. You heard about Moses, you know, holy Moses or you know, whatever. Um, um, you know, Moses, who's preparing the people of God in the Old Testament to go into the promised land, if you know that story. And he's not going because of some mistakes he made. So he's letting them, you know, be ready. And he's like, and one of the big things he talks about is, you know, parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, all that. You've got to pass the faith to the next generation. Otherwise, it's just be a one generation thing. You've got to pass the baton. And then he tells them how. And the first thing he says in Deuteronomy 6 is the first thing is make sure that these things that you're passing on to your kids and your grandkids, nieces, nephews, friends, whatever, make sure they're on your heart first. Uh, because you and I cannot pass on what we don't already have, right? We can't give away what we don't have, what we don't possess. And the most significant way our kids will learn is by modeling. Because it's just a truism, right? Kids learn far more by what they see than what we say. And if that's intimidating, join the club. It is, right? I mean, I get that. But we can say whatever. But they'll learn way more by what they see. I remember uh, when when uh, this was Caleb was just like two, three years old and he's in the car seat in the back of the car. And I'm driving on I think it was 190, maybe it was 75. But anyway, I'm driving on the highway here in Dallas. And um, and for those of you who haven't been around Chase Oaks very much, let me just give you some teaching you may not have been exposed to. In the Bible about what the left lane is for uh, the highway. Um, I'm not sure where this is in the Bible, but it's got to be somewhere. I'm still looking. But it but on the on the the, the left lane is called what? It's called the passing lane. Yeah, oh, this. Hallelujah. So so the passing lane. And that means that if you're in the left lane, you're supposed to be passing people, which means if you're in the left lane, you're going faster than people are in the left lane. It's fine not to go faster. Just get out of the left hand lane, right? So it's a passing lane. So if you're not going faster, then you don't get in that lane. Also, another little rule, and I, I know it's in the Bible somewhere, even though 
One of the first things humans are asked to do is take care of our environment. And that's an awesome thing. And it's an important thing. That's a godly biblical thing. And part of your decision to do that might be that you got a Prius, which is awesome. It's a great decision. It just means you can't be in the left lane. That's what you give up. And that's fine. It's a good choice. But you can't be in the left lane. Okay, so that's just now I get that off my chest. So. So I'm coming up to somebody and they're going slow in the left lane. And before I could say anything, Caleb in the back, you know, in the car seat, I hear him say, out of the way, bozo. I was like, "Uh oh, you know, and uh, obviously he's been driving with Christy. He's learned some things, but um, kids learn far more by what they see than what they say. Right. If right now we're all teaching our kids, we just don't know it. We're teaching our kids about life. We're teaching our kids about marriage or singleness. We're teaching our kids about, I mean, every, I mean, just you name it. And, and that's why what Moses said is, hey, if you want to pass on the faith, you got to make sure you have it and, and let them see it. And I mean, if you really do want to pass on Christianity to kids in your life, then, then let them see you follow God and make God a priority in your life. Don't just tell them that's what they're supposed to do. I mean, the fact that you're here is really cool. I mean, the fact that you're here at church on a big game day <laughs> is, is, yeah, is a, is, a, is a really good thing, right? I mean, you're, you're making a statement to your family of saying, hey, you know what? This is how we roll. This is what we do. Um, when, you, uh, when you decide to do something like get in a small group and they see that and they know that, hey, you're, you know, you're going to babysitting or you're going to the church child care, you're doing whatever because... We go to a group like we're in a group and you explain, I mean, that's a big deal. Or when you serve in the church and they see that and they'll they'll do that. I've seen that with giving too. people who give in our church in a proportionate way, which is a biblical thing to set aside a percentage of your income off the off the as a priority in your budget. And you give that. Um, I mean, the Bible tells us to do that. Most people don't. And of the people who do that, I've talked to. I would say a good 70% of them do so because, in part because they grew up in a home where they saw that modeled. And that's just what they did. Like going right into young adulthood, they, that's just what you do. And they knew that. And because their parents had talked about that or whatever, it's just the power of modeling. And so therefore, man, if you, if you want to pass on something to your kids, make sure you make it a priority, whatever that is. But it doesn't mean that what we say is unimportant. It is important. And Moses talks about that, too. And I love the way he does this. He says, impress them, these truths about God on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, like when you're putting your kids to bed and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates. He's just saying all over the place, just however much you can, just talk about God and life and what's important and take advantage of every opportunity as you go through your day. It's not just have a little classroom and, you know, it's like saying, no, just as you go through your day, man, be intentional, have intentional conversations with the kids in your life. Um, For some of you that may be on the phone because there may be distance with that. Um, But certainly if they're in your home, I mean, the time when you put kids to bed is such a precious time. And take advantage of that when there's, you know, when they're little and want you to do that Um, and, and be intentional with that. Um, another concept is to eat dinner together as a family and put away your screens. Crazy thought, crazy idea. But, 
but, and just do open-ended conversations as you're driving around different places, right? Incredible opportunity to do that. Um, I remember, you know, when, when my kids were getting involved in all kinds of stuff and they were both involved in sports, Colin and golf and hockey, Caleb and hockey, and then Colin, uh, Caleb got into travel hockey. And I remember uh, when I, I'm it was just such a busy time parenting and being a pastor and, uh, and, and it, it's just, I mean, I love my job, but it, it's busy. And so uh, there's lots of meetings and lots of things. And so I was trying to, you know, run Caleb to practices and run Colin to his stuff and all that. And just trying to squeeze him in between meetings and get here and get there and then get over here, you know, and all that. So one time I was talking to my dad driving around. I was uh, taking Caleb to a hockey practice because he in his hockey team, there was something every day. And so I, you know, was taking him and I was kind of complaining to my dad about it. And he said, Jeff, I want you to listen to me for a minute. I thought he'd hung up. (laughs) And it went for a while more. And he said, did you just hear that? That silence? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, in a few years, your kids are going to be gone off to college or wherever they're going to do. And it's going to sound just like that. And you're going to wish you had a hockey practice to take Caleb to, but you won't. And they're like, ah, you're right, you know, and he was right. It was a privilege. In fact, not long after that, um, Caleb was 15. He was just on his 16th, about to be 16. So we're driving to hockey practice. He's about to get his license and drive himself to hockey practice. And I'm like, yes, you know, and my and uh and he says, hey, dad, I'm going to ask you something because I'm going to ask you something now. And I need you to remind me of this because I know I'm not going to think this way once I get my license. But even after I get my license, will you still drive me to hockey every now and then? Because he knew the power of it, right? Of just just that time of connection, because you never know, especially as they get older. You never know those magic moments when a teenager actually wants to talk. Um, you just never know when that's going to happen, and, and which means we have to be around. To, to capture those moments and, and be there and be available. Um, he, what Moses is saying is just, man, every, every chance you can, just talk about God, pass on your faith. Talk about what you're facing at work and integrity choices and all that. Just, just let, that's part of equipping them. And then I'd say this to parents, and this is where all of us come in, is seek reinforcements. Uh, we're not designed to do this ourselves. It's not just on us. It's on all of us. And let me encourage you, if you don't have kids, uh, be a reinforcement to those parents. And, and sometimes there may be parents who aren't doing this stuff and you have an opportunity to be influential in their life. But I know as a parent how thankful I am for every single person that reinforced and strengthened them and modeled for them and instructed them and taught them. Because uh, as, especially as kids get older, that's super important. It's just part of natural development. I mean, some of you are parents of kids right now. And you're feeling really good about it because your kids are like two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in that age group. And your kids think you're the smartest, coolest, strongest people in the world. And they'll even fight other kids that say that you're not. I mean, they'll want to. And, uh, and enjoy that because it's not going to last. And it just, I don't know when, but a year, two, three, four down the road. You go from the strongest, coolest, smartest, right, to about the dumbest, least cool, least, you know, whatever, right? Just the way it is. And 
And what's going to happen as a kid gets older, it's just human development, the way God made us, is that they will be, we still have a lot of influence in their life, but they will be more influenced by their peers and even by other adults in their life. Um, and it, I mean, it, it was that way for me. And there were times like, you know, our kids were involved in youth ministry here, which, by the way, take advantage of that. Um, get your kids involved in kids Zone. get your kids involved in youth ministry so that they do have they develop peer relationships that will influence them down the path. That's good. Um, and other adults in their life who will speak into their life and challenge them to go farther and all that. I mean, just so important to do that. But just again, this is just the way it works all the way from when they're little. But certainly as they get into high school ministry, like lift, like we're talking about, if you're a student and you're not involved in lift and you're and you're at all serious about Jesus or your faith or at least curious, go to lift and get in a group. I mean, it just it, it's there's I can't think of many things more important than that. And 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 I'm really thankful for all those who were involved in, in my kid's life. It was sometimes frustrating because, I mean, I'm a pastor, right? So I say a lot of stuff. And, um, and so my kids, you know, I would say something to them, teach them, try to, you know, give them a true, you know, truth or something. And I, I guess they weren't really listening, you know, when they were 16, 17 or whatever. And then they would go to youth group and come back. And Rocky was the youth pastor then. And they'd say, oh, Dad, here's what Rocky said. He said, da, da, da. And I said, man, that's, that's amazing, and I wanted to say it sounds really familiar because I said the same thing last week and you blew it off. But, uh, but I'm glad you think it's cool now, you know, that Rocky said it. But I didn't do that, right? It's just part of the deal. And so if, and, and let me say this, if you are, get your kids involved, if you're a student, get involved. But if you are a small group leader in KidZone, because all our church is built around small groups. If you're a small group leader in KidZone, if you're a small group leader in Studio 56, if you're a small group leader in student ministry, would you, whatever campus you're at, would you just stand up right now? Um, go, go for it. Go ahead and stand up. We just want to celebrate you. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, my wife is right now Studio 56 at Woodbridge. And, uh, and it, those are heroes in our church. And so thank you for being that. And if you were looking for a place to make a big impact in our church, that's a great one. And, uh, and if you're, uh, if you're a young adult, I mean, even if you're, if you're a student, you can be a small group leader and, uh, you have, at least you have the opportunity, you can apply to be a student leader in, uh, in kids home. If you are a young adult, I mean, all of us can be involved, but if you're a young adult and you're not serving in youth ministry and you're wondering how to make an impact, that's a great way to do it. Um, that's what I, Christine, I did that as young adults. I just got a text yesterday. I was going to read, but I don't know where my phone is, um, of a guy that just said, Hey, do you realize this is the, this was a, he's, I don't know how old he is now, but he was like, Hey, this week is the anniversary when I started sixth grade, um, back all those years ago. And you were my small group leader. And it's just really cool. You've been in my life all these years. And I was like, Hey, that is cool. You know? And so that's the privilege we have. Let me encourage you to think about that because we need reinforcements. And we, and we have the privilege to be a reinforcement. So I want you to think about, in light of that, I mean, as a church, we want to do a good job, right? One of our DNA statements is passing the baton. So I want you to think about a child in your life, or two, or however many. I mean, if you're a parent, this should be easy, okay? Don't, you don't have to copy your friend. I mean, like, that you've, you've, God's already given you that. Um, but you may be an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or a neighbor or a person in this church that might be open to be a reinforcement for other parents and parents. 
Um, but I want you to think about people that God's put in your life because I don't think it's accidental. I think it's strategic. And even if you're like a student and you've got a younger brother or sister, and I don't want you to be overbearing with this, but, but you, you, you have a role. And so I want us to pray for all the kids in our lives. And I know that some of them are growing up to not follow God. Some of them are young adults or adults who are off path. And, that, and some of you as parents are freaking out about that. And I understand that. Um, I mean, people will grow up to make their own decisions. And, but I did youth ministry for a really long time, enough to be real optimistic about that. And that when kids grow up in homes like yours, they just almost always come back around. It just they sometimes have a scary journey to internalize their own faith. And uh, even for kids, if you say, well, I didn't have Jesus when they were growing up, just God responds to prayer. And so let's pray with faith for them and for their journey and just love them and uh, unconditionally. And, and so let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, uh, I thank you for how you are a father to us, that you're good. And would you help us to be that kind of parent or that kind of influence, that kind of reinforcement in the lives of, of the next generation? And Father, I, I pray that you would equip us, as we said at the beginning, to move from fear to faith. And just, just equip us to do everything we can do to help equip our kids and kids in our life. God, would you help us move from guilt to grace that, of course, we've made mistakes. And you know that. And God, would you help us feel and and know your grace so that we can be empowered just from now on to just keep, we'll keep making mistakes, but keep doing our best and trusting you. And, And would you help us again move from apathy to passion for the next generation, wherever we're coming from. And I pray for every one of these kids that we're thinking about right now. God, would you help them? to be surrounded by the kind of peers and influences and the power of your, your presence around them and in their life if they know you, that they would choose to follow you and live into the future that you have for them. And for those who are walking away from you or just not on path, God, would you surround them with people and experiences and just pull them back to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.